I bet you've had that moment when you are talking with someone that you have known for a very long time, and then they drop some information that you never knew about them. Surprising information. And then you have what I'm going to call a wait a minute moment. Right? They tell you something very surprising, and then you have that experience where you say, wait a minute, you did what? When? Or you hear shocking news, right? You hear some shocking news, and then you have that wait a minute moment, like, wait a minute, really? I have a friend, a good, good friend of mine, who has, in, has influence across the country, knows some very high-level people, and over the years, he will just trickle out all these people that he knows. Even recently, he was on a trip where he met with some powerful people. And what went through my mind was a wait-a-minute moment. Wait a minute. You know him? You had dinner with who? It's these wait-a-minute moments. Or maybe you've had that moment when the teacher says that your kid was really good at school one day, right? And you say something like, wait a minute. <laughs> you mean my kid? Right? Okay. These wait a minute moments, like those are the things that I think, those, those, it, those reveal things about relationships and what we understand and assumptions we bring about people and today, as we continue to walk through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to watch the disciples have a wait-a-minute moment. So we're picking up in the story with Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. We're coming off of a series of parables where Jesus was teaching crowds and he was teaching his inner circle all about the kingdom of God. And now he's, we're going to be back on the move with Jesus no more teaching for this week. We now get to go in live in a moment, this action-packed scene with Jesus and his disciples. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. Here's what we read. The day when evening came, he said to his disciples, this is Jesus, let us go over to the other side. This is the Sea of Galilee, by the way. Let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. It's that last question they were asking where we see the wait a minute moment. I think they were saying it like this. This is how I would have said it. Wait a minute. Who are you, Jesus? What is going on? We thought we knew you, and of all of a sudden, things looked very different. Assumptions they carried about Jesus now seem to be flipped on their head, and now they're asking in a, this, this moment, wait a minute, do we even know you? And they're scared. 
Now, I want to give the disciples a benefit of the bout, a doubt as we walk through the passage, as we study what's going on. The disciples really did carry some accurate beliefs about Jesus. Like, their assumptions weren't all crazy. They actually believed some right things about Jesus. If you remember when we started the Gospel of Mark and we kind of launched out into the Gospel, we see Jesus declaring that the kingdom of God is near. That is, he is the promised king. And he is telling people to turn around and come follow to participate in this coming kingdom. And for the Jews of that day, that would have been quite appealing because they believed God was going to do something in their day. And they carried with them these prophecies of the Old Testament, believing that God was going to do something special in their day. And so when the disciples come alongside Jesus as his students, as his apprentices, they really were carrying with them some true understandings about Jesus. For example, they were carrying with them things like Isaiah 11. Understanding that Isaiah 11 was probably mapping on top of the life of Jesus as it really was. That is, Jesus was this promised king, this guy that was coming forward. Take a look. Isaiah 11, I think the disciples were, were, had it right thinking that this referred to Jesus. Here's what Isaiah wrote many years before. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will be on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. The disciples would have understood Jesus as the one who would slay the wicked even with his word. And so when he comes on the scene, Jesus declaring, the kingdom of God is near, it's these kind of prophecies that they think are coming true. That someone was coming who would start a revolution to kick out Rome. That is, destroy their enemies. They would remove or rescue them from Roman oppression. And this must have been the guy. And this was true. Jesus was the guy. And so when, when they believed the guy was here, they also brought forward all their understanding of what the kingdom of God would be. It wasn't just that there would be a king who would sit on David's throne forever and ever. His kingdom would literally change the world. Things like Zechariah 14 would have been ringing in the ears of the Jewish people. Take a look. Zechariah 14, we'll just take some sections of verse 3 through 9. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he has fought in times past. And on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Then the Lord, my God, will come and all his holy ones with him. And on that day, life-giving waters will flow from Jerusalem and the Lord will be king over all the earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord. His name alone will be worshipped. Can you imagine the dreams they carried as they walked with Jesus? They were not only on the inner circle, they were part of launching a new world order. And they were going to get their just desserts. They were going to get, they were going to give 
to the Romans what they deserved. A revolution was starting, and their enemies would be cut down by this king, and a new kingdom launched. Oh, if you knew you were part of that kind of kingdom, you'd probably be excited. Some of you are Braves fans, and you're excited like me, that just maybe we're making it into the playoffs, and we will win the World Series. It just feels good to be a baseball fan. Can you imagine believing, thinking that you're on a team that will change the world, launch a new world order? So you're with the guy that the Spirit of the Lord is on, who can slay the wicked with his word, and you also are with the guy who's going to establish a kingdom in Jerusalem that will change the world. You're with that guy. That's a pretty exciting time. And yet, as they carried all those hopes and dreams with them into this boat, it all seemed lost that night as the waves started crashing onto the sides of the boat, as they thought the boat would go under. And in that moment, you can imagine what they're thinking. Number one, they're probably thinking, I'm going to die. And then they're thinking, our king will die. And if the king dies, all is lost. All their dreams, Isaiah 11, Zechariah 14, and so many more Old Testament prophecies seem to be in peril on that night as this storm came up quickly on the Sea of Galilee and those waves crashed onto the side of the boat. And I imagine they were praying to the only person who could help them, God himself, the God of Israel, the God who had called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who had rescued Israel from Egypt, that God. Because these good Jewish men understood there's only one person in the universe that could control a storm. That's God, the God of Israel. And I imagine they had some scriptures that they were carrying with them in their bodies, in their habits. They may have even memorized them throughout the years. And I'm just going to take just a few. Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, here's maybe what was ringing in their ears. Not Isaiah 65, Psalm 65. You quieted the raging oceans with your pounding waves and silenced the shouting of the nations. I imagine on that night, that scripture had direct application. Would you stop the raging waves? And maybe they were thinking about Psalm 89.9. You rule the oceans, you subdue their storm-tossed waves. That had a lot of application on that evening as all their dreams seemed to be going up in this storm. And then maybe Job chapter 26, maybe they remembered this claim as Job spoke to God. He created, talking about God, he created the horizon when he separated the waters. He set the boundary between day and night. The foundations of heaven tremble. They shudder at his rebuke. By his power, the sea grew calm. On that night, as all their dreams and hopes seemed lost, they prayed to the one person, the God of Israel, to save them. And yet, the waves kept crashing, and the boat looked lost. And with the boat would have gone their lives, their dreams, and every hope. It not only would have taken their life, but the king's life. And so they were at a loss. 
So what do you do when you hit that moment where all seems lost? What did they do? They wake up the king and they go to their teacher. Because just maybe, I mean just maybe in this moment, maybe the teacher, maybe the king could pray to God and God would listen to the king. He is this anointed one. Just maybe if he prays, maybe everything would go calm. And so they wake Jesus up. Sleeping, calm. Jesus had no problem at this point. As he sits in the storm, nothing seems to bother him. He's asleep. And they wake him. But Jesus does not talk to God. He talks to the storm. And the storm listens. And in that moment, the disciples have a wait a minute moment. I get it if the king talks to God, but here the king talked to the storm. That's something only God does. Do you see why you'd be having a wait-a-minute moment? You see, this is like what I'd like to say. If I had to summarize that experience, it would be this. The disciples believed Jesus had power. Oh, they did. Just not that power. Power over a storm. So if we had to illustrate what's going on in this moment, how the disciples came to a wait a minute moment, let's illustrate it with some boxes. Let's take a look at it this way. The, the disciples came into the evening. They walked into that boat. They stepped into the boat having no problem with this belief that Jesus' authority covered evil spirits. He had it authority over diseases. And he would soon have authority over Rome. None of this was a problem. This was all within the purview of Isaiah 11 and even Zechariah 14 and those many other Old Testament passages. This was all within Jesus' lane. This was all under his authority. But when the storm hit, well, that's, that's kind of a different pay grade. This is how they were thinking. God's authority, there's God's authority now, and he had authority over wind and waves. Unfortunately for them, in their minds, that's, that wasn't Jesus' authority. It was only the God of Israel's authority. You see, the disciples had Jesus in a nice, neat box. And they had reason to put him in that box. They had Old Testament scriptures to refer to, to create a box to put him in. But even the box they put him in was too tight. It had too many limits. It was too nice and neat. And so, take a look at how I want to say this. Jesus broke the box the disciples had put him in when he calmed the storm. They realized that he was bigger than anything they imagined. And when you get hit with information that is bigger than anything you have ever imagined, you come to one of those wait-a-minute moments. You see, as nice and neat as that box was, it didn't reflect reality. This is what was really going on in that boat that night. Jesus was God in flesh, God with us. It was Jesus and God's authority that were present on that boat because Jesus had authority not over evil spirits, not only over diseases, not only over soon Rome, but also over wind and waves, even over a storm. 
And that broke the assumptions of the disciples. It broke their box. And I think that has some application for us today. I think that has something to teach you right where you are today. Here's the application. We need a wait a minute moment with Jesus. He is God in flesh and has authority over all of life, not just a small section of it. Now, if I had to illustrate how this begins to play out in our lives, here's how I would do it. I would say that often we think of Jesus having authority over just some parts of our life. So take, think of Jesus' authority again in a box. And Jesus said, let's go one more back. Can we go one more back? Okay, this is my fault on the slides. I'm so sorry. Go, let's go to the box slide. Imagine that that outer box doesn't exist and I am building to the big box. So be in suspense for a moment. Don't look at the outer box. Imagine that Jesus has authority over church, right? He, he has authority over prayer. Oh, let's go, yeah. And let's even give Jesus authority over VBS. We'll give him that one, okay? So we just function as if Jesus oversees those things in our world. But there are some things that Jesus really doesn't have oversight of. He doesn't have authority over, like my money. Now, I understand that few Christians would ever say that Jesus doesn't have authority over their money. We'd all give them that. We'd say Jesus has authority over all of life. But many Christians, maybe you, function like your money is your money. And you did what you had to do to earn it. And therefore, no one's going to take it. And you can do what you want when you want with that money. See, this is that same problem the disciples were experiencing in as much as we're putting Jesus in a box. And we're giving him authority over the things we're comfortable with, but then we're putting boundaries up on the things we still want to stay, uh, keep hold of. Or maybe let's take another example. So imagine this little box, you put Jesus in this box, and, we, and we'll give Jesus family, and we'll give him the workplace, and we'll even give him the community. But we will not give him our entertainment. We will have fun how we want to have fun when we want to have fun. We'll look at what we want. We'll watch what we want. We'll listen to what we want. That's none of Jesus' business. He doesn't get to say what I look at on Snapchat or what I listen to on Spotify or what I click on on Netflix. That's none of Jesus' business. He can have my family in my workplace. He can even have my community. Again, we'll even give him VBS. But he will not touch my Netflix account. That's not his. And he doesn't pay the bill. Do you see how this begins to work? I understand none of us would say that Jesus has no oversight over our Snapchat accounts or our Facebook or our Netflix account. But if we were able to see all of those accounts laid open, I wonder if Jesus could claim authority over them in the way we actually live and what we actually watch or listen to. I mean, really think about this. See, these are selfish versions. These are those moments where we're like, I got my stuff, Jesus, and you can have your stuff. There's also another version of this that comes from that side, a more vulnerable side. See, I think sometimes we give Jesus authority over reasonable things. So take, take a look, like our salvation. 
our faith, relationships. But we don't think Jesus has authority. And by that I mean he doesn't really care. Or he does, he's not going to really do anything to help with my depression or my chronic pain. We typically put things like depression in the realm of my problems, not God's problems. It's just something wrong in my life. As if God would have no oversight of your loneliness, your lack of energy. Now, I'm going to say that God actually has authority over your depression. He actually cares about it and wants to work with you to solve that. He wants to heal you of that. So often, so often Christians will put God in this night neat church salvation faith box and forget or never believe that God actually likes them and is concerned about those darker parts of our lives. Those parts that have been called unhealthy. Those things that say something's wrong with you. Now listen, we got plenty of things wrong with us. We're all messed up. And we all deceive ourselves. We all have a lot of darkness in our hearts. But there are some things that are very taboo in the Christian world. And we need to understand that Jesus even cares for and has authority over them. And so maybe it's, maybe it's you trying to hold on to certain things that you don't want Jesus to touch. And maybe, maybe though, you are desperate for Jesus to have some oversight of something in your life that is hurting or causes great struggle. But you just don't think God cares. And I'm saying Jesus cares. Here's, here's, here's what I want to do then. I want to take all of this, all of this into a next step. Because it all comes down to a point in one prayer. Let's take this next step this week. Pray this prayer each day. Jesus, you have authority over all my life. All of my life. And when you say all, pause. Jesus, you have authority over all my life. And in the pause, in the pause, you might just find a wait a minute moment. You just might find that God speaks in to say, I have authority over that. That thing that you've kept outside Jesus' box. Jesus is still in the business of breaking the boxes we put him in. Because he has authority over all your life. Every small and every big. Every taboo and every sin. He has oversight over it all. So give it to him. Because in the end, he already has it. Wait a minute. All? Yeah, all. Let's pray. Father, we simply pray that as a family of believers, that you would teach us to understand the reality that in the kingdom of God, Jesus has authority over all our lives. And so we pray under the power of his name, help us. And together we say, Amen.